Let me tell you something. God doesn't do miracles just to show off. He does the supernatural so that his name will be known. And they say, who in the world is this? See, because too many of us still got him in a manger somewhere. Too many of us don't, don't know who we're dealing with here. Who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. It doesn't work. This religious thing, this Christian thing, it doesn't work. That's what the disciples are saying. It's not working. I'm not getting victory. I'm not being delivered. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. It's not working. And I try. And they want to know why. He doesn't just bless you for you. He blesses you for his name, his glory, your impact, your testimony, your ministry. God just doesn't want to do miracles that exclude you. He wants to do miracles that include you. You are part of the miracle. Jesus has been teaching all day. He's been teaching the crowds, preaching the big sermon, and then he takes his disciples aside and he gives them a private word. He says in verse 33 of Mark 4, with many such parables he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it and he did not speak to them without a parable but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. So he calls his disciples aside after teaching the big crowd and says let me speak to you and let me give you some stories that will give you spiritual truth for you to apply to your life. And he gave them some inside information. Beginning in verse 35, he tells his disciples, I want you to get on the boat and let us go, verse 35 says, to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat just as he was and the other boats were with him. So let's get something straight as we start our journey. The disciples are smack dab in the will of God. Jesus said, get in the boat. They got in the boat after the sermon. They listened to the word. He said, get in the boat. They got in the boat. And they are doing exactly what they were told to do. They are perfectly situated. Not only are they in the will of God, Jesus is in there with them. Because it says Jesus got in the boat too. So it, life can't be better than having church, hearing the word, and Jesus joins you in the boat. So Jesus is in the boat. They're going their way over to the other side. But while in the will of God and on the boat with the Lord, there's a problem. The problem is described in verse 37. There arose a fierce gale of wind and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already filling up. Now many of these are professional fishermen so they know how to handle water, boats, and storms. So when professional fishermen get scared, you know it's a big deal. This is a major lilac. And so they are caught in a storm while being in the will of God. So the first thing that you need to know is that in the will of God, it does rain. 
What tells you whether you're in a God, out of God's will is did you do what he told you to do? But whether you did it or you didn't do it, you can still be in a lilac. That is a tumultuous situation. The other thing you need to know about this lilac is it's merciless. That is, it comes down on you and it seeks to consume you. The boat was filling up, the wind was blowing at such speed that it threatened to take them under. Anybody ever been in a situation that looked like it was going to take you under? That it was going to drown you? That it was going to overwhelm you? A storm, this kind of trial, is an unexpected circumstance that invades your life that threatens your very existence. We're not talking about a headache or a toothache here. We're talking about a situation where your life is on the line, where you don't know if you're going to make it or not. But let me tell you something else about a storm. A storm is always designed to increase your faith and give you a deeper experience with your God. Storms aren't pleasant, they aren't comfortable, and sometimes they can be life-threatening, but they always come with a purpose. So here they are in a crisis. They're in this crisis, and the crisis was threefold. There are actually three storms occurring here. Let me walk you through the three storms. First of all, there is a circumstantial storm, the lilac. I'll say one more thing about this circumstantial storm, and that is it was a storm over which they could exercise no control. You can't control the wind. You can't control the sea. You can't control the rain. You can't control the, the spinning of the turmoil. You can't control waves billowing up and going. You can't control that. That is out of your control. So you can be in the will of God and in a storm and absolutely be able to do nothing about it because you can't control a lilac. It's circumstances that produces a helpless and sometimes the feeling of a hopeless scenario. So that's storm number one. That leads to storm number two. Storm number two is that they were terrified. We know that they were terrified because Jesus is going to say to them, why are you afraid in verse 40? So they weren't scared, they were scared. Now we're talking terrified. So now we not only have a storm of circumstance, we have a storm of emotion. Because their emotions have riveted up and they are scared about the doctor's report, scared about the financial struggle, scared about the, the relationship direction, scared whatever it is that you can't control that's causing your emotions to be uprooted is your lilac. Because it's something so big, so deep, and so devastating, you can't control it. So the first storm are circumstances out of their control. The second storm is their emotional instability because of the uncontrollable circumstance. But there's a third storm here. We'll call it a theological storm. Because not only was their circumstance out of control, and now their emotions responding to their circumstance, they now have a spiritual storm, a theological storm, because the scripture goes on to say 
that they woke up Jesus and said in verse 38, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? See, that's a spiritual storm. Because their circumstances were out of control and their emotions have gone crazy, now they question whether what they have been believing is true. If the truth be told, and you would tell the truth and shame the devil, there aren't many of us who haven't questioned God, who haven't said, I'm not sure I should be believing this anymore. I'm not sure I could, should be continuing this because what I'm hearing on Sunday and what I'm experiencing on Monday don't match. I, I heard the preacher say that you care. <laughs> I don't see you caring for me. So what I heard about you and what I'm experiencing don't match and I'm not sure this is real because verse 38 says Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on the cushion. They, they, they shook him and they said don't you care? Because if you cared we wouldn't even even if you were tired we wouldn't have to wake you up. You got you getting wet like we getting wet. The boat's flipping and flopping you like it's flipping and flopping us. And so they're in this storm. They're struggling. Jesus is asleep. And they had a question. Where were you? Do you, you don't care about me. If you cared about me, I wouldn't go and be going through this like this. Don't you care how bad was it that we are perishing? So this is major. We think we're going to drown out here and die. I'm going to die. Jesus had just taught the disciples. They'd just come from church, so to speak. And now they're under pressure. And it's tough. Does Jesus care about my pain, my finances, my loneliness, my hurt, my, my depression? Because I'm in his will and I feel all this. And so... They wake Jesus up. Verse 39, Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and says to the sea, hush your fuss. Hush, be still. What I got from my father was, first of all, the example. Uh, he was a tremendous example because he was living what he preached and taught. So that example. I also got the powerful value of the Word of God, how powerfully valuable and how it took first place over everything. I mean, everything was to be judged, everything was to be managed by, everything was to be viewed through the Word of God. And so I think my view of Scripture and my view of the Word, the inerrancy of the Word, the power of the Word, the accuracy of the Word, the supremacy of the Word, all of that came from, from my father. And he just learned it as a layperson. So I just uh, guess the Word is the dominant thing. Don't forget, Peter was a layperson too, but he lived <laughs> 3,000 and 5,000 to Christ. Right. You see, so that was you. On, we can't put him on the same seat with. With Paul and the Pauls, they were very educated, but, but, but Peter, Peter was a fisherman. Right. And the Lord used them, and the Lord uses you, and he has used you, 
and, and how you got where you are today, only the Lord knows. You worked on the waterfront. Yeah, well, that's where I made my living and whatnot, and so some days we didn't work very much, but I did other things too to try to raise my family up, you know. I don't eat fish. Oh, yeah, well, that's a that's <laughs> <laughs> but there's a reason I don't eat fish. And uh, you ate some of them, did you? Well, I ate them because I had to. Well, that's all we had. And they got all these little bones in them. Yeah, herring has. Sometimes I only work one or two. Two, two days I had to go down to the unemployment office for my family to survive and whatnot. So we come a long ways. And you met my mother, your wife, who's now gone home, but... She's going to be with the Lord. Yeah, she was sitting on the steps. And uh, I was playing football and whatnot. And so I went over, you know, talk with her and whatnot. And uh, that's where that was it. That was it? I fell in love and whatnot. And so that was it, you know. To just thank the Lord for her. Almost every week you're preaching. Almost. At the almost. local church. So and, and teaching and doing the best I can. How long you been doing that? For many years. Got to, it's saved in 1959. Then a Bible study, teachings and so forth over the years, through the years. Yeah, I can't name them all. Can't name everything, but just thank the Lord, you see, that I'm going the way that the Lord would have me to go. What did you think about what's happening in the world right now? Oh, the world is in a deplorable predicament. And uh, like MacArthur said, that uh, it seems though, though the Lord has forgotten all about our country, America. I'm talking about our country. Now. Right. About, but our country's in a terrible state, you see, and that's it. These, these people can't. They, they can't see Christ, and they don't want the Lord to say they're saved, but yet they, they don't know Christ. It's pitiful. So I just pray. The Lord tells me to pray. That's what I do. But we've got to continue to preach the gospel and to continue to instruct our children as best we can that the word of God is right. When the Lord said, if I be lifted up, up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. What's your favorite Bible passage? Oh, I like, uh, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw the magnetic force of God, I will draw all men unto me. That's an interesting one. I might have to write that title down, the magnetic force of God. I haven't heard yeah, that that's one. What I, that's what I always say, you know, put that in there. <laughs> no, that's a good way to put it. I will draw men unto me. Okay. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thy heart that God is raised from the dead. Thou shalt be saved according to the Bible. Did you ever want to give up? Did you ever, like, it was too much? No, I didn't want to give up because I had Christ on my side. He didn't give up. <laughs> okay. People want to have their own way, do their own thing. All I know is do is just continue to pray and preach. That's all I know until they come. Lord, I want to live for Thee every day and hour. Let Thy Spirit go with Thee. Be Thy sacred power. That's it. What do you want to leave us with? What do you want to leave behind? What What are some of the thoughts you would have if if all the family was gathered here and you were just talking to us, kids, grandkids, great grandkids? What would you say? I tell them, study the Word and allow the Spirit of God to lead you. Because without God's Spirit, a person is not saved. Or remember, if they're in the church or wherever, if they do not have God's Spirit in them, then they're not born again. Their names are not written in the, in the Lamb's Book of Life. 
and then I'm going to spend eternity with Christ. My greatest joy is, is to know that I have about what, 23 great-grandchildren, 23 <laughs> great-grandchildren, and one, one great-great-great-great-great-great-great. <laughs> two, two, yeah, two, he said, yeah. Okay. So you got, you got plenty of family. I got a lot. <laughs> you can't even keep up with them all. No, I can't. His mark is now generational. Yeah. So as you think of your own, our own families, we want to think of the generational impact of this kind of gathering, that we could have this gathering because of him. And, uh, and uh, so I'm honored to be your son, but we will forever be grateful. That's a chorus. I want a little bit more. Huh? I want a little bit more. I'm Wanna... gonna tell God all about it one of these days. I'm going to tell God all about it one of these days. Just short, short, short verses, that's all. Okay. You see, that's all we need. And, and, and unless I get my hymn book, get a hymn book, then we can sing hymn. So Jesus is asleep. They wake him up. When they wake him up, he speaks to the circumstance that was causing the crisis. So don't let it be said your crisis continues because you never took the time to wake the Savior up. And so Jesus now turns to his disciples. Why are you afraid, verse 40, how is it that you have no faith? Why are you afraid and why do you have no faith? Oh, I don't know, Jesus. Maybe it's because we're getting ready to die. Because <laughs> in verse 35, Jesus said, let us go to the other side. Not let me go to the other side. Are we going to make it to the other side? You left shouting. You were excited to get in the boat with me. But when the circumstances showed up, they overrode what I said. In other words, your problem overrode my promise. So you are now living in light of the problem, no longer living in light of the promise. And when you live in light of the problem and no longer in light of the promise, the problem will dominate you and it will totally erase the fact I ever made one. God never wants... Your circumstances, he doesn't want you to deny them. A storm is a storm. You don't call it a sunshine day. A storm is reality. But he never wants your circumstance to trump his word. Not only does he not want your circumstance to trump his word, he doesn't want your circumstance to trump his presence. Because he's on the boat too. And so Jesus speaks to the problem, and when he speaks to the problem, there is a circumstantial change. Verse 41 says, they became very much afraid. When they were in the lilac, they were afraid. 
when they saw who they were dealing with, they became very much afraid. In other words, we're afraid of the wrong thing. <laughs> See, we let our circumstances scare us. He says, when you know who you're dealing with, <laughs> you'll be less afraid of that and more scared of me. Because shucks, if I, could tell the, if I could tell the storm to calm down, what could I do with you if I'm ticked off at you? I'll shut you out and shut you out of here. No, if you're going to be scared, then what you need to be is scared more. Your fear ought to be toward who I am, not what the circumstance is. Because once I get up, all I got to do is talk to it. I wonder if anybody here ever seen God talk to a situation. You know, it was out of your control. Nobody you knew you could help you. You didn't have money to buy your way out of it. And, and God said something. Heaven spoke to it and boom, suddenly, immediately, out of nowhere, that thing changed. So it's more important to, by faith, get Jesus dealing with the circumstance than you living in fear. Don't be scared of the wrong thing. When Jesus' humanity, his sleep, his deity stays awake. Who then is this? They were on a journey of discovery. Trials, as inconvenient and as painful as they are, are a journey of discovery of who you're dealing with. See, because too many of us still got him in a manger somewhere. Too many of us, too many of us don't, don't know who we're dealing with here. I mean... He's tired, so he got to go to sleep because he's human. He gets up and he puts the lilac to sleep because he's God. Okay? Because he's human. We, we call this in theology the hypostatic union. The hypostatic union means two natures in one person unmixed forever. Two natures in one person unmixed forever. So he's both human and divine. See, so God fertilized the egg of a woman. He fertilized the egg of Mary without a male sperm so that the Holy Spirit would provide the divine and Mary would provide the human so that the human and divine would be mixed in one person without sin forever. That's a hypostatic union. So, so one minute, he's thirsty, the Bible says. He said, I thirst. But the next minute, he's walking on water and... and, and and stopping storms and stuff. One minute he says, I hunger. The next minute he's taking sardines and crackers and making a folk Moby Dick sandwich to feed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, over 20,000 people. One moment he died on a cross. Another moment he raising folk from the dead. Come on, who are you? What manner of man is this? Hebrews 4 says, and we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our pain. How can you sympathize with my pain? Because I'm human. So I can feel what you feel the way you felt it. But I'm divine. See, when I go to you or you go to me, that's human to human. I may be able to sympathize but not be able to fix it. But when you deal with the God-man, you're dealing with someone who can feel it and fix it. See, if your, if your obstetrician 
is a man who's delivering your baby. He can fix it, but he can't understand it. Because your male obstetrician has never known what it's like to be pregnant, know what it's like to be in labor, and know what it's like to give birth. Now, he can, he can fix it, but he can't feel it. But if your obstetrician is a female who also has children, they can feel it and fix it. Because they know what it feels like to be pregnant. They know what it feels like to be in labor. They know what it feels like to deliver. But because of their training, they know how to help you and know what it feels like while they help you. All a man can do is lie and say, I know how you feel. In fact, the next pregnant woman that has a baby and the doctor says, I know how you feel, say, stop lying, doctor. I ain't, I ain't here for your lies. You don't know how I feel. But a woman with a baby knows how you feel. But that training is enabling her to fix it. God says, because I'm a man, I know how you feel. But because I'm God, I can do something with it. What manner of man is this? That even the circumstances, nature obeys him. That nature has to succumb to him. So if you have a lilac, and if you don't have one, keep living. You will. God wants to take you to a place of understanding in him that you've never been before. So let me tell you something. God doesn't do miracles just to show off. He doesn't do the supernatural to flex his muscles. He does the supernatural so that his name will be known. Some issues are too big for you to handle by yourself. That's why you need community. That's why you need people around you to help you move stones you can't move. That's what church is supposed to be. He doesn't just bless you for you. He blesses you for his name, his glory, your impact, your testimony, your ministry. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. When you get your supernatural, you better open up your mouth and you better declare the greatness of your God because only your God can go into your grave and raise you up and give you life. You better give him the glory, do his name.